Well, good evening, everyone. It's finally here. Anthony's first show. I'm so excited. And he's going to talk about evangelism, revealing truths. Welcome to the program, Anthony. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. It's definitely an honor to be here. Uh, I was very excited when you presented the opportunity to to share um, a lot of these truths, a lot of these things that God's really been highlighting to me and, and pointing out that I've on, honestly, I've wondered, like, what in the world, like, how come nobody's talked about these things? How come nobody's gone after these to, to really pull it out instead of just sticking with the status quo? And um, so today we're actually going to talk about uh, revealing truths on evangelism. And I'm very excited. I, I wanted to share a little bit about myself before we get started. But I'm very excited about this topic because it sets the whole foundation for somebody's walk with God. And a lot of times we kind of have relegated it to a simple prayer, you know, um, or some method instead of realizing it's an actual decision. The reason I started uh, revealing truths is because God challenged me uh, a little over a year ago about challenging everything that I thought I knew. So I've gone back and I've looked through evangelism. I've looked through spiritual gifts. I've looked through repentance and grace and all these different doctrines that I grew up in church with that I never challenged, I never thought to challenge from a scriptural basis because you automatically assume that the people who are teaching you, they've been saved longer than you, that they know exactly what they're talking about. In the church, I've realized that this sometimes change, sometimes changes by the book, the books that are being released at that time. And we see that a lot, right? And next thing you know, at your church, somebody releases a, a whole series. Next thing you know, in your Bible study or your cell groups or, or your Wednesday night services, you're going through those courses. And, yeah, it's good. It's good information a lot of times and everything. But the one thing that we haven't been taught to do is to challenge it. And 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, test everything and hold on to what is true. Hold on to what is good. So this is something that we're supposed to do on a regular basis. We can see it you know, through the book of Acts and everything else. And just to give you a little history about myself, my name is Anthony Tijerina, is how you say my last name. And I have grown up in church. Uh, I was very self-righteous. I was, I mean, I used to beat people, people with the Bible, beat them with the word. I was very good at it. I knew how to basically manipulate conversations and win arguments because I was trained in debate and some other things. And basically my parents assumed I would become an attorney 
and I definitely started walking that out. And I still have a 4.0 in college for law or pre-law, I guess is what they call it. And, you know, God just tapped me on the shoulder and said, no, this is, that's not where I want you to go. I want you to follow me. I want you to, to walk with me. And since then, basically I've embarked on a, a journey in the last, uh, I would say, six years, going on seven years now, that has completely transformed my life, completely revolutionized my life. Things that I read about as a new believer in Scripture, now I get to walk out and have tons of testimonies about everything. And so even though we're going to be talking about evangelism today, there's another series that I've I've done and, and taught on, and I was just sharing with Dorothy, is called Revealing Truth on Spiritual Gifts, quote-unquote. And you find that as you go and you start digging these things out according to what it actually says in Greek, because it wasn't written in English and Spanish, German, or anything like that. It was actually written in Kone Greek, which is common Greek during that day, or in ancient Greek. And things get lost in translation. And there's some things that just doesn't translate. And I, I've seen that with English to Spanish and Spanish to English and Portuguese to Spanish and and Hindi and all these different languages, certain things, they just don't translate well. And going back and seeing what it says, it, it really brings freedom. It really points back to Jesus. It really points to God and what he's after and what he wants to accomplish. Because if we look at evangelism and, and where it's at today, if it was the exact same evangelism from the book of Acts, then we would be witnessing the book of Acts in practice, in play. Right? Every time you go to church, there would be something amazing happening. Not only that, but you would be automatically required as a disciple to go and produce more disciples. So it wasn't just hearing and hearing and hearing, doing. It was participating in in the actual application of evangelism. So if we look back at, at where we're at now, we have to take a step back and realize that that there were men of God in history, such as Howard Carter, Lesser Summerall, and a number of others, just in the United States alone, called out humanism and pragmatism from a very early time, from the 50s. They saw it entering the church. And so what we're seeing right now is basically the evolution of pragmatism in the church as well as humanism in the church. And it so has it, it so has enrooted itself that it affects every aspect that is being taught in the church. So let's let's get some definitions together here. So pragmatism ultimately is the philosophy that something is verified as being true 
because it works. And if we take that philosophy and take it into the church, you'd say, well, then I guess witchcraft would would have to be truth because it works. Hindu monks, Buddhists, all these people operate in a power, so therefore it verifies, according to pragmatism, that this is truth. And you see, if we apply it that direction, you're, you would be appalled. You're like, no, that's not truth. Right? And, and when, when God really started bringing this out to me, I started realizing, okay, so where does it point? Where, where does it actually direct you to? Because ultimately, the foundation for everything is your motive. What is your motive? There's a really great book called Start With Why by Simon Sinek, and he's, I don't think he's a believer. But he points something out that I had never really looked at before, and that is the motive of the heart. And it's something that Jesus was constantly after. Because if we take a step back and we look at pragmatism, then we would say that people in the Bible are horrible failures. Right, Because if we step back and we look at Noah, Noah's primary job was not a shipbuilder. His primary job was preaching the gospel to his world. And you see, besides him and his wife, six other people, so he spent his lifetime preaching the gospel, preaching about God, turning to God. Have a relationship with God, and this is mapped out in Galatians if you've ever sat down and read it. And it's it's very interesting that he only saw eight people saved. So you would say he was a colossal failure. But what about Jeremiah? The prophet Jeremiah, we go and we look at his life. And we see that the prophet Jeremiah didn't win anybody over. In fact, he butted heads with them constantly. And he was sent from God. So in the case of pragmatism, that is over. One could even draw the conclusion that Jesus is a great failure of pragmatism. Because he didn't leave behind a denomination he didn't leave behind books. He didn't understand books that he wrote. He didn't leave behind any of these things that today we would say qualifies a minister as being successful. He didn't leave any of that behind except for a small band of about 120 people, according to Acts 1. So he saw amazing miracles, amazing healings, the gospel of the kingdom of God, Matthew 4.17, Matthew 4.23. He preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is mighty, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And so you, you begin to look at, okay, pragmatism, that's not a, a biblical concept. That doesn't even work here. because Just because you want to base something off of your experience to define who you are, to define your motive, define uh, the direction that you're heading, doesn't qualify anything. I can tell you, when I first started praying for the sick, I didn't see many people healed. But I know that God's word is true, and every man's a liar. God's word is true, and it doesn't matter what the situation is, where I'm at. His word has stood the test of time, and it's true. So I don't base the word of God off my experiences. I base my experiences off of the word of God, which is completely different. So let's look at humanism. Humanism is the, it, the exact opposite. It's the rival. It's the enemy of Christianity. But we've embraced humanism into Christianity, which is scary. Because basically humanism, uh, human, humanism, sorry, humanism can basically be defined as this, that the end of all being is the happiness of man. Now, if you listen to what I said, and you think about the church, what's going on in many churches? They have these plays about being scared because the hell's awaiting you when you die because of your sin and everything. And they do an altar call at the end, and people go up to the front, and they're giving their lives to Christ, quote unquote, right? Because of fear of not going to hell. That's the only reason they're going, that they're going up there. And you'll find, if you look at the statistics, these people really do not stick. Why? Because fear is a very bad motivator. But if you look at humanism and how it plays out, you, you realize that in messages saying that, that Jesus gave his, his life for the happiness of men. God wants you to go to heaven for your happiness. So all these things point to man, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus was, is pointing to his entire life in every message. Because Christianity should be defined not just as Christ-like, but the belief of and the practice of bringing glory to God. So you look at pragmatism, which is basically the method, and you look at humanism on how it's delivered, then you begin to realize, and there's many more, understand, there's many more things we can get into, but I'm trying to just highlight some things that you see prevalent in the church today. Because when we look at this and we begin to realize that if, if we get rid of humanism, then what's left? If we stop pulling on people's emotions, if we stop pulling on or, or using manipulation tactics and stuff just so we can pat ourselves on the back at the end of the day and say, yes, we saw 38 people come to Christ. Really? Are those 38 people in church 10 years from then? Are they being discipled? Are they walking out the destiny that God has called them to? And that destiny doesn't mean sitting in a pew for 10 years. 
It's walking with God. See, the thing is, or something that, that really frustrates me is when people say, oh, you have a healing ministry. Oh, you have a prophetic ministry. Oh, you have this, you have that. No, 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 no. There's only one ministry stated in the New Testament, and that is the ministry of reconciliation. And it's something I love. We were, we were in India, and a, a brother in Christ, we're walking through, we're praying for people. Every single person is getting healed. Jesus is healing every single person through our hands. It's amazing, amazing. I still get chills and want to cry um, just talking about it. And this lady asked one of her brothers in Christ, so what ministry are you with? And he smiled. He goes, ministry of reconciliation. And he's looking at him like, oh, okay. And he knew they were going to go home and look it up. He was going to take him right to that verse in First Corinthians. The thing is, or in Corinthians, and the thing is, is like when you begin to look at, okay, why is humanism wrong? Because humanism feeds the fact that everything is done for the happiness of man. Everything is done for our happiness. God heals for our happiness. And there's no sense of the normality of the guilt and the violation and the open rebellion and the unrighteousness against God and the, and the righteousness of his requirements and the justness of who he is and of his nature and everything that abides in him in his essence in the core violates him. We violate his commandments, we violate everything about him and we expect him to be accepting of us while holding on to all this junk. So why was Jesus preaching repent then? Now understand, he brings you in for where you're at, but it requires the the step of repentance saying, God, I agree with you. You were right. I am wrong. Let's move forward. So we actually break apart the word repent. It actually means to change your mind. That's all it means. It means to change your mind. Because to change your mind, you change your direction. So in a more accurate definition would be change your resolve. Because right? if you resolve within yourself and you have a strong will, not to do something, you're not going to do it. And so as you walk with God, you begin to realize that the more you resolve to trust him, the easier everything becomes. The smoother everything begins to flow. So looking at this and applying this to evangelism, we look for a method as people. We want a method. Show me the black and white. Draw out the method for me so I can just follow this method and it requires no relationship with God. It requires none of that because I really, at the end of the day, I really just want a notch on my belt that I led somebody to Christ because I had been repeat a prayer. And I saw the worst violations of this in South America. Did you not? Dorothy, you would be appalled at some of the stuff I saw. 
this lady that I met, very sweet, and I understand, uh, I'm not attacking her, I'm attacking what she was doing. Because I believe she loves God with all her heart, and she's only doing what she had been taught. And so this lady, she would, she, I had several conversations with her, and she said, oh, I led 18 people to the Lord today. And so when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay, that's awesome. And then we went to a meeting at her house. There's five people there. I'm like, where are these 18 people from today that she led to the Lord? And then we go to the, to the hospital, and she's with me and another individual, and we're praying for the sick, and God's healing them, and she's following around behind, and she just says, what's your name? Oh, repeat this prayer with me. And so they would repeat what we call the sinner's prayer, and she would just pat them on, on the shoulders and say, now you're saved, you're good. We walked out of there, she's like, 50 people gave their lives to Christ today. They're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You have no idea. Other than the fact that you told them to repeat a prayer of their enormity of the guilt they have against God or the transgressions or, or the, the heinous acts against him. They think they're in trouble with the bad God. And that's basically what the church has evolved into. It's what it's become. Oh, and and we sing, God is good, God is good. And we say, oh, yes, God is good all the time. Okay, God is good. How come people are teaching in in the same circles? People are saying, well, God gave you that sickness. Well, God is good. Well, why did he give you that sickness? Right? So they violate the own principles and the under, their own understanding of God by trying to justify things that goes completely against God. It goes completely against his nature. And this is ultimately what we've wrapped up and we've created this horrible foundation in the church in the body of Christ, understand what I'm saying here, that it's all about what you can get from God. Oh, I need power. So to walk in power, I need the Holy Spirit. So I get the Holy Spirit so I can walk in power and further my agenda. Oh, really? Because I don't remember Jesus ever saying, run in front of me. Pick up your cross and run in front of me. I remember him saying, God, my will be done over your will. In fact, you find the exact opposite. Jesus, take up your cross and follow me. Now understand what I'm saying. Let me go back to the sinner's prayer. Sinner's prayer, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. However, you don't find it anywhere in Scripture. It wasn't the method they used. They understood, and according to Jesus, that it is a conscious decision that one must make, and it carries such a severity 
because you are promising yourself to be the bride of Jesus Christ, not for the life on this world, but for eternity. For eternity. And many times, we want to make it a, a little light decision, like changing your clothes in the morning. A little light decision of, oh, maybe today I'll walk as a Christian. Tomorrow I won't. Three days from now, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll start walking with God again. Depends on how I feel. It has nothing to do with how you feel. It has everything to do with the consciousness of the decision on which you make. Because I guarantee you, if you're married and you wake up one day and say, you know what, I don't feel like being married today. And you go out and you act like a single person and you come back home to your wife or to your spouse and expect them to sit there and tolerate your behavior, and your actions. You're crazy. You would say, you're going to be divorced very quickly. You're going to be separated very quickly. But when you look at this and look at what Jesus has done, when you look at what he accomplished and look at how our job is to take up the same mentality, the same mindset, as Jesus. And when we look at John chapter 14, when we look at John 15, we look at John 16, even John 17. But when we look at John 14 in particular, and even some earlier chapters, you see, Jesus says, Have you, um, playing it back, just thinking in my head, um, Thomas asked him to see the Father. What do you ask him in John 14? He goes, Show us the Father. And I can see Jesus there answering him, a little upset, a little, a little annoyed. But he, his response is amazing. His response is, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. So he wasn't there to bring glory to himself he was solely there to bring glory to God. So when you look at this, we think we can come in and bring glory to ourselves, into the kingdom, into Jesus Christ, and bring glory to ourselves when he's telling us, no, we're supposed to adopt the same mindset as Christ in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. To be a servant of all. When we look at Jesus' heart, his motivation, his goal was completely for the glory of God. So when you go out and you evangelize, you don't have to use a model. What you do is you, you begin to think, you begin to operate from a place of relationship with the Father because your whole purpose, your whole goal, your whole mission is walking with him. And it's, it's absolutely amazing, I'm telling you, because I can tell you every situation I've walked into has been completely different. 
every single situation. Sometimes they needed healing. Sometimes they didn't even need healing, but they needed a word of encouragement. They needed a word of prophecy spoken over them. And God immediately reaches in, touches the heart, exposes what's really there. And it shifts and it changes. And they say, how did you know that? I know that because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I tell you what. And then it leads straight into an evangelistic moment. Because understand, evangelism means to evangelize. Well, what does evangelize mean? Evangelize means to preach, to proclaim. So evangel is proclaiming. It means to proclaim. So if you look into a concordant literal version of the Bible, every time he says we preach the gospel, it says evangel the gospel of the kingdom. So we've, we've taken this word and we've kind of not realized, but we've, we've made it so Christian meaning that we forget what it actually means. And it just means to proclaim it doesn't mean to say. It means to speak it out. It doesn't mean to hear. Look, this will blow your mind, okay? We go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I know you've probably heard about teachings on it, saying, oh, this is the fivefold. You have apostles, prophets, teachers, uh, evangelists, and pastors, right? But if you read the context, you begin to realize they were called to the church. They were called to the world. They were called to the church to grow and mature up into Christ Jesus. So an evangelist is somebody who comes into the church and teaches you how to evangelize. Teaches you how to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Teaches you how to articulate reconciliation effectively. All of our job to evangelize is go preach the gospel to the whole world. That that applies to everyone. That's a great commission. It applies to every single person. So when you look at this, you need to realize, okay, it's not a few select people that are supposed to go out and evangelize. It's supposed to be every single one of us. And as every single one of us step into this God-given calling of being in Christ Jesus and acting and operating as Christ Jesus does and did, how much faster do we reach this world? I'm telling you, it changes everything. So just an example. I walked up to um, a person out on the streets, and I just noticed they needed some prayer for something. And um, it was actually a, a, a better example. Is we were at the, at the hospital, and this lady, she had physical issues, but it wasn't actually – that she needed healing in her body. She needed healing in her soul. She needed healing in her own heart. She was carrying heart wounds 
is what I've come to call them. Um, people might call them something else. That doesn't matter. But the thing is, is the abuse that she suffered when she was younger and the constant broken relationships she was living out had caused her so much tension, so much paranoia, so much shame that she was constantly tense. She could barely even open her, like, she couldn't move her arms, for one. The only thing she could do is what I call the chicken flap. You know, when you do, like, the chicken dance, you can only move your arms just a little bit. And ultimately, that's as much as she could use her arms. And so I was training some people from Portugal that live in Brazil, and I said, you know what, you know, you you go ahead and you, you speak life to her. So they started praying for her, and she starts getting better, and prayed again, started getting better. And I realized sometimes we're just too quick to pray. Sometimes we do need to ask God questions. Now understand, our mandate is to lay hands on the sick, and they will recover, right? But the thing is, is we aren't robots. God didn't design us as such. And if that's all he wanted, he could have created robots. But he desires relationship and and walking with him. So basically, within myself, I turn to God and say, God, what's actually the problem here? And he reveals all this stuff to me. And I said, okay, what do you want me to tell her? Because I want you to tell her I'm going to give her a new heart. So I, I turned to her and I said, I'm just going to bless you. And I started speaking prophecy, words of encouragement over her. And you could see her countenance, you could see her body language, you could see everything that she was breaking under the tenderness and the sweet mercies and the love of God. And she began to weep. And sob. Because she knew that I knew her history. God was revealing everything to me. And he was bringing her back to him. And what was amazing is after that, she starts hugging people. I have this on video. She starts hugging people. And one of the ladies looks at me and goes, yeah, but is she healed? I go, I don't know. We're going to find out right now. Because at the point, I didn't know. And uh, and so we said, how are you? Are you healed? And she raised both of her arms straight up. And it was like, God, you're so amazing. We put God such in the box. Because understand, I came from a ministry that was just hyper-focused on healing of the body. And here God saw the heart and thank God, but he doesn't just bind the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted. And he set this lady completely free. And after that, she confessed that that day was her birthday. Imagine that. That day happened to be her birthday. So I smiled and I, I looked at the the evangelist, quote-unquote, right, as a group, and I said, will you prophesy over her? And uh, she said, yeah. And so she started telling me what God was calling her to. And her her future, basically, operation and walking with God and and everything. And and it was 
absolutely beautiful. She repented of, of where she was heading and where she was going. She changed her mind about God. I mean, so many things changed. And it's just beautiful. So to say, oh, you have to do it this way. No, because I've been in other situations where I tell the person, I'm like, look, at some point, you need to make a decision. You need to decide. You need to resolve within yourself that you're going to follow God. Because ultimately, that's what Jesus preached. He says, before a builder builds, what does he do? He sits down. He calculates the cost to make sure that he's able to finish what he starts. Or the one who finds the kingdom is like the one who finds a pearl of great price hidden in this land. And he buries it and he goes and he sells all that he has and returns back to it to buy that property for that pearl. And you begin to realize Jesus is saying, count the cost. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the gate. We look at the church world today. We make it wide. We make it easy. And understand, surrendering to God, walking with God is very easy. It's very simple. We make it complicated, but it's so simple. But it requires that we lay down our own agendas, our own wills, our own thoughts, our own emotions and and experiences. We lay down everything at the cross of Jesus Christ. And we go down into burial with him so that we can rise up together with him. That's Romans 6. That's Colossians 2. And you begin to realize Everything revolves around this because imagine having this foundation. Imagine stepping into God knowing that you have made a conscious decision to marry Jesus for eternity. It changes your actions. It changes your thoughts. It changes every aspect of how you operate and what you do because you're fully aware, you're fully conscious of the fact that you are married to Jesus. And just like your spouses or your girlfriends or your significant others, wherever you're at, you do everything possible to please them. Right? Because you want to demonstrate your love to them. And this is something that we're required to do with God. Right? I say required, but we get to do. Because imagine a God who didn't listen to you. And some of you are like, well, I don't feel like he listens to me. You know, he listens to you. Because he answers your prayer. Even if he answers your prayer, sometimes he answers your prayer. So when you look at everything that that God is is getting at and what he's saying, you begin to realize that walking with him, I'm sorry, it's just, walking with him is just so easy. We serve a good God. He doesn't require you to kill people. He doesn't require you to do anything except trust him and love him and completely surrender to him. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then his only other commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And it's something else to get into in a different day, but when you realize that God is good, his nature is absolute good. He provided a way out of sin through Jesus Christ, by the cross, knowing all the ordinances, all the charges against us to the cross, settling them once and for all. And what's the requirement? You must trust that Jesus accomplished this. And it's foolishness to the wise. It confounds them. They don't understand it. What do you mean? All I got to do is trust God? What? No. I'd rather trust on my own ability. I'd rather trust on what I see and my experiences. Why? It's foolishness to them. They don't understand this. But this is the simplicity of the gospel. Just trust and surrender. Jesus accomplished everything. He didn't have to hang on a tree. He didn't have to be beaten and whipped. He didn't have to go through any of that. Yes, it's free for you, but it cost him everything. Somebody paid for it. He saw that you are absolutely worth it. He saw the value that understand, you should see the value that he has placed on each and every one of us. That he looked at the cross with joy. Because he knew what it would produce. Story didn't end there. He resurrected. I know I haven't really dove into really giving you a great example of evangelism, and maybe we'll, we'll continue next time and, and actually dive into this. We can see by identifying some of the things that are wrong, it really exposes what's right. And it also works the other way. By exposing what's right, it identifies what's wrong. Because technically that's the, the way I came into this. Is I began to realize that there's so much um, teaching out there. But I went back to the Bible and said, okay, Jesus, how did you do this? How did you walk this out? How did the, the early disciples walk this out? Because that's what I'm curious about. And we should be building off of what they started instead of deviating from it, trying to make it easier and trying to make it more palatable for people to come to Christ instead of saying, no, 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 you have to forsake yourself. You have to walk in righteousness. You have to walk with God instead of trying to make it easier. No, no, no. Jesus said, narrow is the way, narrow is the gate. So it's narrow. It's not wide. That gate leads to hell. His way, his way is narrow. Why? Because people are scared to trust God. And as believers, as Christians, we should it should be the simplest thing in the world. Before we take some questions, there's one thing, and um, uh, if you're going to call in, you can call in right now, and the the, the number is six four six five nine five four seven. Eight four again. It's six four six 
595-4784. And uh, while we're waiting for that, the, the thing is, is when we look at how this, this actually plays out, how, how to walk this out on a regular basis through relationship with God, because he knows everybody's heart. He knows exactly what you should say at the right moment. And I have many testimonies. I have many examples to share with you. And we'll get into those this this next time. And I just want you to know that this is easy. But it requires trust. You trust God. Because you trust God, you know you can trust what he tells you to do. And from there, you begin to operate. And it's, it's absolutely amazing. You know, I was, I was on the phone with a lady last night who... Um, had had a physical problem. And I prayed for her. And as I was praying for her, God started telling me stuff that he wanted to tell her. And I'm like, okay, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to see her completely healed, right? <laughs> Before you want me to tell her all this extra stuff, I'm like, no, you, she needs to know this. So okay. So God started showing me about her childhood started showing me about her future, and he started showing me all these things, and I'm just correlating everything and articulating everything that God's telling me about her. And all I hear her is crying. On, I just hear her crying on the other side of the line. And I just realized, oh my gosh, like, people sometimes, they get so blinded, they get so trapped in religion. There's no relationship with God. There's a relationship with tradition. There's a relationship with the people who, who commonly come around these same traditions. And and that's not bad in and of itself. However, when you hold the traditions above God in relationship with God, that becomes a problem. If anybody has any questions, please feel free to call in. Again, the number is 646-595-4784. Uh, Dorothy, we got anybody on the line? Uh, no, no one's called in. But we'll give it a couple of minutes, see if anybody calls in. I know a lot of people listen after the fact, after the show is archived. So. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Are, so, are there any um, questions you had, maybe? <laughs> I thought that was a very good lesson. And it, so many truths in there, I can't even enumerate them all. I, I know that um, I heard someone say that the biggest thing in the end times now is going to be the discussion about whether or not God is good. I thought that was really something, you know, because I think, well, how could anyone think otherwise? But we're taught that he's a big mean guy full of judgment and wrath and all this stuff. So, yeah, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal that we need to get under our belts. Yeah, I was in Duluth, well, Superior, Superior, Wisconsin, which is right on the border across from Duluth, Minnesota. And I was doing a teaching there, and we were expecting a small crowd of about 12, people or so, and about 35 or, or so or more, I don't remember exactly, ended up showing up. So it was, it was absolutely amazing. 
there was a church or a ministry there that gets these drug addicts off of the streets, basically bringing them to church and evangelizing to them and sharing the good news of God with them and everything. Well, there was a young man that they brought to the meeting, and I was just sharing with them the simple message that God is good. His nature is good. That it's always his will to heal 100%. He has more invested in it than anybody else, right? And this is just a simple message I was sharing. And he gets so excited, he raises his voice and goes, so you mean that God will take away my meth addiction? And it caught me off guard a little bit, and I said, absolutely. He doesn't want you in bondage. He wants you free so that you can walk with him and, and live with him in, in freedom. And so he, he kind of calmed down, and he's like, okay. And so I started sharing the importance of uh, understanding that walking with God is being married with, married to God, and that it's a very serious choice, not something you do flippantly, just like you don't just meet somebody off the street and marry them the next day. It, it, it's a it's a period, there's a, there's a period of time of getting to know each other and and coming acquainted with each other, and you decide, yes or no. Do I want to spend an eternity with this person or no, right, in Western culture? And so, essentially, I said, I, after sharing this brief segment, I asked, so does anybody want to receive Christ Jesus? Not just their Savior, but as their Lord. It means that you put your will, you put everything you want in submission to him because you're no longer your own. You're bought with a price. And this guy goes, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> and said, okay, we'll, we'll pray in a second. It was amazing, Dorothy. He, he didn't just get born again. He got filled with the Holy Spirit and delivered from that. In a very short amount of time. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. And so you can interrupt me if anybody calls in. <laughs> Come on, you guys, call in with a question. I think it takes a while for them to get used to each show that comes up, you know. So yep. being the first show. <clears throat> yeah, well, the thing is, is, you know, there's a lot that we're going to be diving into. There's a, there's a lot of questions that I'm going to be answering that that helps get people to a place and the point of understanding that it doesn't matter how much you know, it's about who you know. And and as you get to as you become more acquainted with God, the easier it becomes to evangelize. The easier it becomes to to share about Him. We see this in marketing all the time. Right? The most powerful method of marketing is word of mouth. Because you're trusting the person that told you that they're, that they're being honest and they're being integral. And, and so you go to try it out for yourself, whether it's a product, whether it's a service, whether, you know, it's a church or whatever it is. We go to try it out for ourselves. And then once we get it for ourselves, and let's say we are completely 
completely taken by it, what do we do? We do the exact same thing. We start telling everybody about it. Such a great product. Oh, it's such a great service. Right? Right. We need to get just as excited about about the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Not about I don't don't know why shampoo just... Sorry, say that again? Shampoo just popped in my mind. That's all. It's just... (laughs) 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 So... Like for me, it's it's like it's not leading people to an organization. It's not like understand I, I I'm a director for Be the Gospel, but it's not leading people to be the gospel as an organization, but to the idea, the the idea, the concept of being the good news everywhere you're at. I would lead them to that idea before I say, oh, you need to join us. No, you don't need to join us. You can walk out a relationship with God anywhere and with anybody. But if you believe in the ideals and and how we conduct ourselves and everything else, then you could say that you're with be the gospel. However, your fruit will tell the people if you if you believe the same as us. And it's really very remarkable. Uh, we had a a brother in Christ from Europe joined us in Brazil and he had heard what I've been teaching on God is healer and he was he was very swept away by it and he started putting it into practice and immediately started seeing everyone healed. And he was like, This is amazing, this is phenomenal. I need to go on a trip with you and I said, Oh, okay, well I was absolutely so he went with us on this trip and how, you know, he operated and I operated, even though we were slightly different, and you know, the methods and how we did things were, were a little different. Um, that wasn't the focus, is the fact that we produced the same fruit. And that's fruit of the Spirit. Because a lot of times we, we focused on the power as being fruit, but power is not the fruit. Or else they would say, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Healings, casting out demons. It doesn't say that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience. Right? And it continues on. Right. So when when you look at it, you begin to realize, oh, this is the very nature of God. This is who he is. So we should be demonstrating the very nature of God. Because as I said earlier, you look at Hindus and Buddhists and, and all these other different sects and religions and everything else, to a degree, they operate in power. They operate from either demonic influence or even out of their own soul if they're operating in mesmerism. And so when we look at that, it's like, oh, that's that's scary. You know, what I've been telling people now is don't look for somebody who's operating power. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. If they don't have the fruit of the Spirit, you need to run. Because they're not leading you to Christ. They're leading you to something else. And this is so crazy. There's this uh, church organization in Brazil. And this lady, Dorothy, uh, I'm going to ask you for your honest feedback. How, I'm going to tell you what she told me. I want to hear what you have to say about this. Because <laughs> she told me that she was sick. She needed healing. 
And so the pastor, don't say anything. I'm going to pray for you. I don't want you to say anything. She said, okay. And so he put his hand on her and says, in the name of my angel, he said the name of the angel, which wasn't Jesus, I give you, like, I, I exercise the power that's given to me by the name of my angel. And she said, Not good. Her face, Not good. Right, right. And she said her face, like, started, like, contorting. She could feel the face contorting and stuff. And she's like, No, no, no. Like, um, she's like, No, in Jesus' name, you go. And in her mind, she's trying to figure out, Did I have a demon or what was going on? And so she's asking me about this, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he was, he was demonizing you. He was actually imparting a demon on you. And I was, did you kick it off? You know, <laughs> that's my question. <laughs> and she was no, like, I left her. I felt so violated. She goes, I didn't even allow it to continue. I ended up getting up and going because I was just like, what in the world was that? And I was like, yeah. So you, you realize people are... And it's sad, but there's this whole section of spiritualism that's that's really sweeping many countries because they have this form of power that they've been missing because they haven't yielded to the nature of God. And I know, you know, we're not talking about the subject, but when we look at the Holy Spirit, he brings the very nature of God into us. And you look at the word dynamis. It actually means an inherent power by virtue of a person or a thing's nature. So you see, the devil has dunamis. We see that in Luke uh, ten nineteen. The devil has dunamis, but God's dunamis is, is stronger and more powerful. Right? We see that with with Moses in Egypt, in, in Egypt, in Exodus. Right? He put down the staff yeah. and turned into an alligator. Or large serpent, or they don't know what it was. Just that it wasn't a small snake swallowing two other small snakes. So imagine an alligator eating two other alligators or crocodiles. Or I think a crocodile. Yeah, crocodile. So this huge crocodile eating two other crocodiles. Then he takes it by the tail and he turns back into a staff. You know, one of the things that's going to deceive. See the signs and wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, correct? And if the enemy can do signs and wonders, that's why where you can get the seeds. That's why you have to you have to be familiar with the word and you have to know who Father is and who he is not. Yeah. That's why I've been thinking about Islam a lot lately. And I'm thinking, okay, their God bullies people, kills people, you know. And they think I should convert to their God. I'm going, I don't think so, because I know who my God is, and he's good. You know, He doesn't want to kill me. Right. He wants to give me life. Right. So, yeah, and one thing, too, you know, is, I, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, one thing I've done is I've actually done research on the God called Allah, and uh, because I was very interested in archaeology and, and finding out, you know, the missing pieces, pieces of history. And 
And so I keep up with a lot of the circles. So I found that this this guy went back and he dug up the origins of Allah all the way back to Babylonia. So the civilization of Babylonia, the Babylonian civilization, is the right way to say it. Allah was the god of violence and rebellion. And who is violent and rebellious? Yeah, yeah, it's it's and so many people it must appeal to the this is gonna sound strange, I think. That demon, for lack of a better word, um, must mm-hmm. appeal not just to the baser instincts in humanity, but to the ego, I think. Oh, absolutely. Does that make sense? So you see yeah, because you, you find that the ego is, is the enemy of, of Christ. That's why you see that he made himself of no reputation. And did you know that because ego I, is actually I often, a Greek, Greek word? What is it? It's a did Greek you know word? That, that's actually a Greek word? Yeah, it's not an English word. That's a Greek word. Ego. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole other subject, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just, and it's, it's the, the, that religion is picking up all over the place, which I guess would be um, appropriate for the times we are in. Uh, but I just feel yeah. so bad for all those Muslims, you know? Yeah, well, you find I that, think... you know, we were, we were in India, and we were praying for this guy who had polio, the effects of polio still in his body. And basically we were seeing his legs grow out and some other things. And it was it was amazing just watching what God was doing. And there, there were these two young men who helped started helping translate. I didn't know who they were. I just I was like, Oh, okay, grateful that so I thought maybe they're part of our team in India and they joined us a little later or something like that because that, that happened quite frequently. And so I asked my brother in Christ, his name is Anthony as well, I said, do you know these people? And he's like, no. I go, uh, maybe you need to find out what's going on here, like who they are. And so they ended up being Muslim. They saw us praying for people. They saw everybody being healed. And they wanted us to go pray for their father. Now, it was very interesting because uh, the most of the team, we had to leave. We had to be somewhere. And so we left the uh, two or three people behind. They went up to go pray for the father. The imam is there. Okay? And they lay hands on this guy. They're ignoring the imam. And, which is the Muslim priest, right? And they start praying in the name of Jesus. The guy is getting better. Well, the imam starts raising his voice at him, saying that Jesus is just a prophet. He's not, a, he's not the Messiah. And he kept saying that over and over. And my, my brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, they, they just ignored it. They just kept praying for this guy. So the guy who was receiving prayer raises his voice. He goes, you know what? I've called on Allah many times. He's never answered any of my prayers. But if their God 
excuse me? I know that he hears the prayers and I know that he is real. And I will follow him. And guess what happened? He got healed. <laughs> he got healed. I'm telling you. Like in India we saw it the most. There was there was a good mixture of Hindus and Muslims and everything. And Hindus are just as violent as Muslims. Oh, don't don't let anybody fool you. It's Buddhists and Hindus are peaceful. No way. <laughs> they were gathering a crowd. We were praying for people outside of the Hindu um temple. But you didn't know. They just saw this little cage and some idol in there with a bunch of hands and the elephant face kind of thing. And I was like, Oh, okay. And we're praying for people. People are getting healed by Jesus in the name of Jesus. Somebody hears us praying. He goes and he starts getting all the businessmen in the area to come out so they can attack us and beat us. But the team we're with, the very astute, they've been familiar with similar instances. They got Daisy and I out of there because if we were involved in an incident, we'd never be able to go back into India. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they stayed behind, three of them, three men stayed behind, and they said they brought over, I can't remember if it was 30 to 40 people to them. And they were all healed in the name of Jesus. And it completely diffused the crowd. And they all walked away. Wow. Nothing happened. Yeah, I thought I thought Hinduism was a peaceful religion. I mean, I know Muslim is not, but but uh, yeah, I thought Hindu was. I I don't think I've ever met a Hindu, actually. So yeah, no, they're they're very they can be very violent as well. And that's a clue as to who they're really worshiping. It really is. It is. It is. And they, they have thousands of gods. And so, yeah, it's a whole other story and everything. Yeah, but uh, next time we, we get on, I'm I'm hoping to have my manual completed, our course that's in our, our discipleship school for revealing truths on evangelism, just like we have revealing truths on spiritual gifts. And so systematically, we go through, we answer the questions, we show scripturally every aspect so people can see for themselves, go back and study it out. And even, you know, because for me, in a discipleship school, we want people to think for themselves. We want them to challenge people to process, even if they stand against us. You know, they don't believe what we believe. The whole point is for them to take in consideration, to think, to process things, to not just be accepting, but also be objective towards the subject uh, because it helps to, to, to paint the real picture. Because if it's, if it's true, if you're objective against it and you're honest with yourself, not because you're trying to uh, push an agenda or anything like that, but the only thing that stands is truth. Everything else falls off. The only thing that stands is truth. And so a lot of these things that I'm producing for Revealing Truth series is for that purpose, to show people at the end of the day, this is solid truth. And all of it comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about superficial relationship where 
you you say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and live like the world. First John's very clear about that. So when you look at everything that we truly love him, we obey his commandments. We, we do what he's asked us to do, what he's entrusted us to do. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Yes, and when you draw closer to him, when you draw closer to him Mm -hmm. over the years, you do find it's a matter of wanting to, not having to. It's just um, a natural progression of the relationship. Like I said, it's it's kind of like the give and take in the marriage. Yep. Absolutely. You were going to say something? No, I think that, um, no, if there was anything there, it's gone now. <laughs> okay. It happens to me too. Don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm looking forward to these lessons as they pan out, and I will be, just to let everyone know, I will be sharing them as much as I can on the venues that are available to me. Um, so, you know, that being said, do you want to finish up? How do you want to finish up? Yeah. Um, basically, I just want to, you know, pray for everyone. And uh, I, I want to challenge you uh, with, with, with simple questions. But let me just pray for you, and then then I'll challenge you, okay? So okay. right now, in Jesus' name, thank you for everybody hearing this message. I thank you for everyone that can hear my voice. I thank you, Father, that your word, your truth stands. It stood the test of time, and it stands now. That they're willing to trust you because you're absolutely trustworthy. That it changes the direction of their motivation, the motive of their heart, and everything that they do. That they no longer do it for their happiness. Because that's a byproduct. That's going to happen naturally. But they do it for your glory. Because you are a good God. And you deserve the reward of your suffering. And so any, any issue in their body, in their spirit, in their soul... You go right now. You'll be healed and whole. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So this is my challenge. My challenge is, as you listen to this teaching, as you listen to this message, to just think. How, how, does it, how do I make these changes to my life? How do I implement what I now know. Because if you hear this and you walk away and you're not changed, if you're not challenged, then what's the point? You should ask yourself, how should I change evangelism? How do how I evangelize? Do I evangelize? Do the people in your family even know you're Christian? Do the people on your street even know you're Christian? Do your coworkers even know you're Christian? Not that you need to be shouting from the rooftops, but they should see, should see it by your example and how you live and how you operate. The motive to bring glory to God. 
not cutting corners, but doing everything possible to glorify him. Think on these things. Make the necessary changes going forward. And this is key. This is what's important. You're doing the will of God for your life. And you'll see, as you place him as for, first and foremost in your life, it's like it unlocks the destiny. That, it's the key that unlocks the destiny that he has for you. So don't be afraid. I know at first it seems like a, a cliff and you don't know if he's going to catch you, but he's right there. He's beckoning you. Come on. Start this journey. Be willing to do something you've never done before. To get results that you've never gotten before requires that you do something that you've never done before. And this is what he's calling you to. Walk with him. So God bless you. Thank you for your time. And look forward to hearing from you next time. Thank you so much, Anthony. And I'm looking forward to the next lesson. And Anthony will be teaching every other Wednesday. So keep tuned in. I'll try and remember to send an email reminder. But first I have to remember, so pray for that. But, uh, yeah, everyone have a blessed week. Thank you for coming. And Father bless. Good night, Anthony. Good night, Dorothy.